This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. My guest this episode is a very busy woman. When we talked, she was on a promo tour for not one, but two big projects. Um, okay, You're doing so promo for Two Dopes. Two Dopes and uh, What Men Want. The Taraji movie. It's, I'm excited. Yeah, she's That awesome. is, of course, the voice of Phoebe Robinson. And I am Sam Sanders. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. Are you guys recording? Because this is, We're like, great. Oh, okay, great. This is great yeah. content. Um, <laughs> In this episode, Phoebe tells me about everything she's working on, which is a lot. There's her acting. There's her latest book. It's called Everything's Trash, But It's Okay. There's all her podcasting stuff, like her show, So Many White Guys. On top of that one that brought her fame, Two Dub Queens. Of course, she hosted that show with Jessica Williams. We talk about all that in this chat, as well as how Phoebe got out of debt and what it means to be your authentic self. All right, let's get into it. We actually began our chat reminiscing about the last time Phoebe and I spoke. Remember when I interviewed you during the election yes, cycle? Yes, yes, back in New York. Okay. Yeah, it was oh. April of 2016. Oh, yeah. And I was doing a story about how all these candidates mm-hmm. were getting heckled. Yeah. And the pro- and like protests were like rush the stage at their rallies. Yeah. And so the story that I wanted to do was like, I wonder who's good at dealing with hecklers. Oh, comics. And I asked you yeah. like advice for politicians who were getting heckled. We actually have the audio. Oh, God. I just don't think a president can roast somebody. I think that looks like opposite of presidential. <laughs> That's the way that we talked about politics seems so it, it, it like before we descended into this period of like yeah. anger and frustration. And not and this is not yeah. a person. Everyone's angry, right? Like yeah. Trump supporters are angry, Trump critics are angry. Yeah. And it just like it's hard to overstate how much it's changed. It's changed so much. And I'm like, you can't roast somebody, and that's literally what he does all day. And I'm like, yeah, LOL. Yeah. But not an LOL. Um, But, yeah, it really is. I think right now we're in a very interesting time where people are really sort of amped up, um, which I think is good because I think, you know, passivity is part of the reason why he got into the office in the first place. Um, But I just want that energy to be turned into something that's productive Mm -hmm. and i feel like a lot of people are doing like my brother um got he he ran the midterms and he for this is like his second time running for for office what did he run for yeah for a state rep in district six in uh in ohio and he won and he flipped the district and had been red for i think like uh 60 years it was the first time a democrat yeah and it was really cool to see him come from the nonprofit world Mm -hmm. and be like okay yes and he still works in nonprofit, but in addition to being a state rep but he was just sort of like okay I want to use my skills to help make things better. And I think that's what's really important is that getting people who do good every day in their lives mm. in politics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So that was the first time we talked. Now I want to talk about your book, Everything is Trash, But It's Okay. There's just one part in the book that I love where you write about getting out of $65,000 mm. worth of debt. Yeah, that was wild. One. 
claps for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That was crazy. Yeah. But also common. That's the thing. Yes. And that's why I wanted to write about yes. it. Like, I was just on the phone with my one of my oldest friends. I've known her since I was 17. And, you know, she was like, you never told me about your money issues. And I was like, I didn't tell anyone. I was, like, so ashamed and so mm-hmm. embarrassed. And mm-hmm. part of me writing about it was also, like, to have that closure moment for myself. But also just sort of be, like, I think especially with the way social media is so a part of our lives, like that is the highlight reel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That is sort of like, yeah, everyone's having Mm -hmm. fun vacations or has cute clothes Mm -hmm. or hanging out with like their best friends. But But it's it's, rent the runway. Exactly. You don't even like that friend. Exactly. (laughs) You know, that's your mama's backyard. Yeah, exactly. And so it was just sort of like, I think, you know, especially with the success of, like, Two Dope Queens and all the stuff that was happening in my career, I think there was just, like, oh, Phoebe just sort of came out of nowhere and, like, ended up on HBO. And it's, like, that's not what my journey was. And so I just want to be very open and honest about, like, I have money issues. You're not alone. No one really teaches us about money. And I think us not talking about money is a way to keep people sort of floundering. Who's us? Well, I think anyone who's not wealthy. I don't want to have kids, but I have a niece and nephew, and I want to create generational wealth. Mm. I want my legacy to be where maybe I can, like, preserve, you know, black art. That's, like, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff where, where it's just sort of like if you don't have money in that way where you can sort of preserve your culture yeah, and, like, lift others up, it just really, it's yeah. so hard. Well, and it's also, like, so much of the, persona we think of when we think of comics mm-hmm. are like they're perpetually floundering mm-hmm. struggling a mess yeah and like so much of what you're saying is like don't be a mess <laughs> it's like it's it's funny when you're like 25 yeah but i'm about to turn 35 i'm like oh me too yeah i'm yeah. like have it together you know i put on my night creams okay <laughs> like just like i'm home every night by like 11 yeah. like just like have it together. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 What I love about the way you write about debt and overcoming mm-hmm. your debt in uh, the book, you say that everything changed for you in your money situation when you began to ask yourself a question, mm-hmm. which is, what am I supposed to learn from this? Yeah. And you say that it took you out of a mindset of being a victim mm-hmm. to saying, what am I going to get out of this? Yeah. I. How did that come to you? Yeah, it just and I just want to be clear. I'm not saying anyone who's everyone who struggles financially is a victim. Yes, I'm just saying my for menta- your path. Yeah, yeah, my mentality was sort of like money is the enemy. I'm in debt because money doesn't want me succeed. I'm never going to get out of this. And it's like, all right, well, if you wake up every day being like you're never going to change your situation, great. Mm-hmm. You'll do everything to make that narrative true. Mm. And so I was just sort of like. I don't want to be struggling anymore and I want to have a healthy relationship with money. And like I write about in the book, like pursuing comedy, which is a career where you don't, I've been doing this for 11 years. I will say the first eight, eight and a half years, I wasn't really making any money, but that was a choice I made. And that's okay to make that choice (laughs) because it got me to where I was, but it's like acknowledging like, okay, well, if you're going to, take on this task of struggling that you have to own that and embrace it. And so just putting myself on a tight budget, that was part of like how I got myself out of debt was just sort of like, okay, well you're just only going to have the necessities. You're not going to go to the movies. You're not going to go clothes shopping. You're not going to go to concerts. You're not going to go on vacations. And that sucks. But that was, yeah, that it worked. And 
my first like full time TV writing job was for Portlandia. Oh, really? I took all that money, uh-huh. um, and I put it towards my debt. So I actually didn't make any money writing on the show at all. Huh. So now how I think about money is I have intention behind it, which I don't think I did before. I think I was just sort of like... That's an th- Oprah lesson right there. Yeah, what is your intention? Yeah, and yeah. sort of just like if you have to put in money to like invest in yourself. Mm-hmm. Money to be like, oh, I want to like help support my family or I want to eventually use it to like start a production company or I want to, you know, set myself up so I can retire and like just have these sort of things that are big picture. Yeah. And it just helps me sort of recontextualize yeah. money. Yeah. yeah. That was a very long answer. Sorry. I like that. <laughs> so that question, what am I supposed to learn mm-hmm. from this? If you were asking that question to yourself about this season of your life, what would you think that answer is? What am I supposed to learn about this season of my life? That's a great question. I think I think it's probably I've been a workaholic like, you know, forever. Yeah, um, right about that. Yeah, right about that in the book. And I think what I've learned is that it's it's not everything. Like just crossing that stuff off your to-do list is not the only thing that matters. It's mm-hmm. not the most important thing. And it doesn't mean I still don't have goals. It's just me learning that I want to have I want to have a full life. Time for a break. When we come back, Phoebe tells me all about working on two dope queens and how she and her co-host Jessica Williams began the podcast after Phoebe's work on her blog called Blaria, Black Daria. All right, BRB. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hey, it's Maria Hinojosa, host of NPR's Latino USA, the podcast that takes you inside the Latino conversation. Each week, we'll take you into one story that will fascinate and often surprise you. Listen to Latino USA on the NPR One app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Did you ever think about quitting comedy? Yeah, um, I had left my day job. It was a, a cool office job. Um and I wrote on my friend's pilot that didn't get picked up, so I didn't have a job. And, like, you know, everyone around me was really sort of, like, getting their footing and getting mm-hmm. cast, whether it's, like, SNL or, you know, writing job or their touring stand-up. And I was, like, just struggling so much. And I remember talking to my parents about it. I'm like, I think I'm going to quit. Like, I've been doing this. 2014, I started six years. I'm like, and I really don't have anything to show for myself. And it was great. My parents were like, LOL, you're not quitting and also things your parents said keep pursuing comedy yeah they were just like they're like if you really want this you're going to have to just keep going and the most important thing they said was nothing is supposed to happen on your timeline Mm. so you go like oh well by the time i'm 30 i'm gonna have a house and i'm Mm -hmm. gonna have a hit tv show and Mm -hmm. i'm gonna have x amount of money in in your checking account and they're like you're not entitled to that Mm. I think it might be a uniquely American thing that everything has to happen on a certain timetable. And if it doesn't happen, then then you are are failing. Yeah. Well, that is a very Western, almost American. Like, no one adheres yeah. to time as closely as we do. Yeah. Like, you travel anywhere else in the world. It's like, time is like 
a suggestion. Yeah, you know? exactly. But here we're so... Yeah. It is weird. Yeah, and it's like, you know, getting on HBO 34, it's like, did I necessarily pick that age? Mm, <laughs> no. Yeah. But I'm not like... Oh man, I'm 34 and I'm on H. I'm like, this. Can you believe it? I'm on HBO. It's yeah. like it was achieving that dream. It didn't yeah. matter what age it happened. Yeah. At. And so it just taking that out of my mind and taking that pressure off and just creating something that's good, mm-hmm. and then people realizing that that has been huge. So it's not going to happen on your timeline. So get it out of your head now, guys. Yeah. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. Just- Trust the process, mm-hmm. hydrate, and get that sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about the podcast. Yes, please. I mean, so like, okay, from 2016 yeah. to now. Yeah. Could you ever have imagined that the little show that you started around Black Daria would end up on no. HBO? Like, not just for a limited run, like, like bringing you back. Not at all. <laughs> were you? Not at all. Yeah. I mean, Jess and I just started because we were like, there were so many... You know, she started out doing improv in L.A., and I mm-hmm. did improv in New York for, like, a little bit. And we're just, like, we're only surrounded by, like, white guys and flannel or whatever. And we were just sort of, like, there's so many funny women, yeah. queer people, people of color that aren't on late night doing stand-up or casting TV shows. And we think they're brilliant. So we're, like, we just, if we're going to do a show, it needs to be reflective of that instead of just booking the same people that are already getting booked. Yeah. But we just did it because it was fun. You know, she was on The Daily Show. I was, like, a struggling stand-up comic and writer and so it just sort of was like oh this is like a fun thing that we can do we're just uh purely you know doing this because we love comedy yeah yeah Yeah. and what i like about the way y'all approach diversity in comedy yeah you're both very intentional about it Mm -hmm. i have been in many places and spaces where everyone wants diversity but no one wants to talk about it and if it like magically happens they're great with it yeah but what i like is how y'all are like it's not right we're gonna fix it think about these things diversity Bam, say it, speak it. Yeah, because I think it, it sounds cool to have the sound bites. Like, we want diversity. Like, that that sounds great. Mm-hmm. But if you're not actually doing it, yeah, then what's the point? Like, the podcast was produced by all women. Um, and then we've had female directors yeah. for both seasons of the HBO specials. And it's like... It's not hard to do that. No. I don't know. If you think of these genres and spaces like mm-hmm. as a table, it's like for forever, comedy was like an eight-person table. Yeah. And seven of those seats, if not eight, were like the same dude. Yeah. And so saying, let's mix that table up is not unfair. Mm-hmm. What was before was unfair. Yes. Are comics in the community mad about y'all's approach to diversity? Do they Are they like, quit harping yeah. on this stuff? Well, I mean, I think there's always going to be a level to that, but I do think, I think special about Two Dope Queens, I don't want to speak for Jessica, but as, you know, I came into as a stand-up comic, I've mm-hmm. been doing it for six years, mm-hmm. six and a half years before we started, and so it was a lot of like, well, I'm a new comic, so I want to put other new comics on too, so I think people really do appreciate that. It's not just me going like, hey, Janine Garofalo, like just getting like a super established mm-hmm. comedian on, because then it's like oh, well, you're not really sharing the wealth. Like, we really try to make it, especially with the HBO specials, like, have, I think, most of the comics on there are either, like, now releasing, like, a debut album or yeah. they're about to come out with, like, a half-hour special like Nori Davis, but, like, they're not, you know, household names yet. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm not a household name yet, and I understand that, and yeah. I want to support that. And Jess and I just wanted to bring yeah. everyone with us. 
What I loved about what y'all did with that podcast is the way you really played with language. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about all the abreves. Yeah. I'm talking about all <laughs> the acronyms. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. And y'all started doing it. I don't know if you were first, but like it's permeated the entire culture now. Yeah. We just really were sort of like, well, we don't sound like Ira Glass. We don't sound like Terry Gross. Like the only way this show is going to work is if we just sound a thousand percent like ourselves. And I do remember um, when the podcast first started coming out, I Mm -hmm. used to read like a lot of the DMs on our Facebook page. And there were quite a few people who were like, oh, you guys talk about race too much. Why do you guys like talk like millennials? Because you're millennials. Yeah. (laughs) You you say the word like too much. I I would enjoy the show more if you didn't say like as much. Mm -hmm. Just all these sort of ways where they just didn't enjoy the way that we spoke. And Jess and I were just thinking, well, this is how we talk. Yeah. So I don't know what, what to tell you. I, yeah. yeah. And so we just really embraced it. And we're just, we're saying, well, there are always going to be people who mm-hmm. are going to feel that way. Yeah. Tell me how the abbreviation thing came about. Because I love it. Um, and I guess give me some examples yeah. for folks that haven't heard the podcast. Like, you'll be talking. Yeah. And like, a word will become shortened. Yeah. Give me an I'll say like, you. reservation instead of reservation <laughs> at a restaurant. Um, soups monogs <laughs> for super monogamous. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and so I think, you know, Jess and I just really embrace, like, you know, like she's so good with an acronym. Like, we really? just really just sort of embrace just being silly and not taking language too seriously. Because I think there is an element of, like, what's high art? What's low art? It's sounding a particular way. And mm-hmm. we just really want to be like, well, this is how we sound. Yeah. And I think people get... They get the joke behind it. Like, I don't think people f- really actually think that Jess and I... Talk like that. All, all the, the time. time. Yeah. yeah, that would be annoying. <laughs> <laughs> that would be super annoying. Yeah. Wait, wait, no, how would I even do that? That'd be totes annoy. Totes annoy. Yeah. Soups annoy. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> I love it. Keep going. Hi, guys. It's Phoebe Robinson from Teed Up Queens. Yeah, yeah. And What Men Want. And from Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah. And um, I hope you're enjoying my interview with the beautiful, talented, and amazing Sam on It's Been a Minute. So um, keep in listening. This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit their website to get a quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. Then just choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Welcome to the 21st century. Do you see Jesus in the burnt toast? Do you realize that literally there's a bucket of condoms by the exit? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? We cannot just uh, say stop, I want to get off. Invisibilia, season five, out March 8th. Now, you're from a suburb of Cleveland? Yeah, I grew up in Buffer Heights and then moved to Solon, if that means anything anything to anyone that's listening. Yeah, yeah. but I was in the suburbs, yeah. How was that? You know, grew up with, like, two parents. My brother was, like, 
so cool. He was like the <laughs> coolest guy, like straight A, yeah. so charming. All the teachers loved him. And what were you? I was like a slacker, <laughs> like, <laughs> not on point. I'm sure they were like, why can't you be more like your brother? But I just would watch like a lot of TV. Like I was watching like Martin, mm-hmm. Felicity, West Wing. Just like I just love film and TV. And so I would do that and just sort of coast. And it used to drive my parents crazy because they're like, you're smarter than what your grades reflect. And I was just like, I'm lazy. And <laughs> <laughs> it drove them nuts. They were like, what the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. 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 Do they respect the lazy now? Um, I think they're just happy that I'm not lazy anymore. Okay. I think when I got to college and I could really focus on what I want to do because I had a writing major, you know, writing classes, did improv, and I really just sort of like found myself and found my confidence and was just sort of like, you can't live up to your potential. Like, just sort of phoning it in and being like, yeah, I have the potential, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not cool. That ain't cool. That's like a waste of a life. So just like mm. live to your potential. Oprah's master class. <laughs> so like you are doing all of these things now kind of like tied to your love of comedy. Mm-hmm. When did you know? When did you like, was it in childhood? Was it in adulthood? When did you, when did you say like, I'm doing the comedy route, the stand up, yeah. the writing, the this to that? I always wrote as a kid, but I thought I was going to write like serious stuff. Like, like what? Like, I thought I was going to write, like, serious Oscar award-winning movies. Like, I... It's not too late. Yeah, I could still do it, Set but... Set that intention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I was, like, I never thought about... Com- like, I was, com- I was like, comedic in, like, my regular everyday mm-hmm. life, but I never mm-hmm. thought that was a career path. Mm-hmm. And I was working a couple of office jobs, like, at a film company, and a friend of mine, Lindsay, hey, girl, um, she wanted to take a stand-up class together, and I was like, I don't... I don't get it. Like, what's the point? Yeah. Like, stand-up is not a career. And she's like, well, it'll just be a fun eight-week sort of vacation from your day job. And this was July 08, so I was 23, about to go- turn 24. Mm-hmm. And I took the class at Caroline's on Broadway, and I loved it. Really? I loved it, and that's what changed my life. But, like, if it weren't for her, I, I would never have gotten into comedy. Really? Yeah. Never. I. It's hard to even think about how to ask the question the right way. But, okay. like... All of the comics I've been speaking with on the show, yeah, they tell me and show me that like the landscape is in a just like uh, comedy as an as an, an an industry is in a weird place right now. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. talking about the Louis C.K. foolishness. I'm talking about Me Too hitting the world of comedy. Yeah. I'm talking about the gatekeepers having to deal with these new voices. Like yeah. how rampant is this environment of sexual misconduct like when i read about yeah the bad people in that space yeah seems like these kind of guys are everywhere are they everywhere i think they're everywhere and i think there's Have you experienced i it's been like it's been like light harassment which is like <laughs> The fact that you, I can't even say <laughs> yeah. that. I'm like, I'm lucky because it's only been like a little bit mm. is kind of dumb, but. Yeah, it, it it is kind of everywhere, and I think it's just sort of like, well, this is how it's been done, and it's cool, and it, you know, like if if you can handle it, just toughen up, and it's just sort of like, it's not about toughening up; it's about it being a safe workspace for everybody. And I think because stand up comedy in particular, there is no HR. Yeah, 
um, unless there is like an expose that comes out that really forces someone's hand to be like, okay, you're right. Mm-hmm. I did, you know, sexually harass those people. Yeah. Um, Should there be an HR, a union, some kind of organization to it that's not there? Oh apparently? gosh, I don't, I don't see a world in which comics will unionize. I wish they would, <laughs> but I don't see that happening. Yeah. But I think it would, I think it would help. And I think, um, yeah, I think the diversity needs to happen within in terms of gatekeepers. Yeah. too because if it's all just like dudes protecting each other then it's it's like never going to change yeah 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 what's next for you i mean you've done like <sighs> a vacation podcast. <laughs> really? Really? okay yeah. i know i wish um <laughs> 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 working on stand-up stuff i'm really excited about that i think eventually i'm giving myself i know i just said not about uh, timetables uh-huh. but i really do want to have a production company okay and like the next few years producing what kind of stuff well, I, I really would love to produce stand-up specials. Yeah. Um, And just really, like, quality, like, TV shows and films that really represent different unique voices and people doing stuff that I'm not equipped to do. I'm always excited by people where I'm like, oh, you're brilliant. I could never do that. But I want to see more of what you want to do. So I really, I think Two Dope Queens has been great for boosting my career and Jessica's career. But now it's sort of like I want to yeah. pay it forward. Yeah. Do you, speaking of Oprah Masterclass, (laughs) she called you when your first book came out? Yeah, she's so cool. How did she get your number? I don't know. (laughs) I think she just, you know, it's Oprah. She could just do whatever the the heck she wants. What did she say when, okay, recreate that call for me. Well, she just was like, she said my name and I was, in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, she sounds how she does on TV. (laughs) She called me Phoebes and she was just like... I loved your book, and I just really related to so much of it. And I was just like, I was just so kind of bewildered that like she read my book. I was yeah. like, what? Like it just was so crazy. But she was just so encouraging. And she's like, you know, you're a star, and like you really have a great voice, and just keep like using it in like the right way. And she's just like really encouraging in a way that I think you know she certainly doesn't have to be. How you know? does one know when it's time to hang up the phone with Oprah? Does she just hang up? Do you know to say like, "Okay, thanks." Like, <laughs> yeah, it was like it was like a natural hang up. Like it was just cool. Like we both were like having a good time, and then we like, you know, okay, it was so great chatting, and it was just like so. It was like perfect. It was like the perfect phone call. It was wild. <laughs> Thank you. I'm gonna have you Thank sign you. my book on the way out. Yes. And I really appreciate you keep. Keep shining. Oh, my God. You know why I'm only shining? Because, you know, people support me and have encouraged me. So thank you. Of course, of course. Many thanks to Phoebe's Phoebe Robinson. The whole second season of Two Dope Queens live is streaming right now on HBO. Check that out until Friday when you'll check out us again because we'll be back in your feeds with our weekly wrap. All right. Till then, thank you for listening. Talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Lisa. 
Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com. This message comes from The Run-Through with Vogue. Listen as designers, Vogue editors, and industry icons like Erica Badu and Florence Pugh have in-depth conversations about fashion and culture. New episodes are released each Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.